So we got this email today from Apple telling us not to put episode numbers in the in the podcast titles, and so like I'm sort of sitting here going, "So do I say welcome to episode twenty two thirty six or not?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> We're gonna get yanked for welcome to the next episode. Yeah, no, I'm you know yeah exactly. So. Well, previous episode plus one, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 236 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we also have Jaime Lippas Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All right, good. So Very it's curious. funny because uh, just got a just got an email from Apple. They're discouraging us from putting episode numbers in the titles of the shows, which we don't do on we don't do it on uh, Fireside. We put a number in and then we put in the title, and they're sort of in separate fields because Apple wants to start moving to this new iTunes 2.0 or something that's coming down the road where they're gonna they're gonna list podcasts separate differently. But you know, because one thing one if you look at the podcast listing in the show, it actually shows like you know episode one, two, three, four, five down the page, like the order in which the, they appear, but they're always in reverse order in terms of the number. So we got this email today from Apple telling us not to put episode numbers in the in the podcast titles. And so, like, I'm sort of sitting here going, so do I say welcome to episode 2236 or not? <laughs> <You know? laughs> We're going to get yanked for... Welcome to the next episode. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, yeah, exactly. So. Well, previous episode plus one, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, welcome to the... I got an yeah. email from Fireside kind of clarifying that. Did you read that? Well, so I'm, I'm the one that raised the issue. I... I, I oh. Okay. on Slack and I sort of said, uh, said so yeah so I got the email, I got two of the emails today because I've got a couple of podcasts listed on, on Apple and so we were ju- it's funny because I, I just I, I saw the thing and I was on a break today and I so I went on to the, the, the Fireside Slack and, and they had just literally been talking the, yesterday about the order number orders in how they, how things appear in in, um, in iTunes and they were asking Dan about you know Dan Benjamin about how, how these things work and I just sort of said well of course you know we get this letter from Apple today telling us not to put episode numbers in, right? So I forwarded it off to them, and then so they actually they they, they I saw the replies on on the thing, and I got I also got that email just a little while ago from Dan saying, "Don't panic," <laughs> you know, because I I went over as soon as I saw it, I went, "Oh, but let's go let's go see if Fireside's gonna has a has a fix for this already," you know. So thankfully, we moved everything over to Fireside. If we were still doing it on more than just code, it would have been a, a pound of work for me to go through and fix everything, right? But uh, or, thankfully, I'd already done all that legwork a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, a couple mm-hmm. months ago. All right. Anyway, so is it snowing there today? No, I think the snow was going to come sometime tonight, possibly tomorrow, I think. But Oh, yeah, we, we just got hammered here today. Well, not hammered. One, I mean, it's, it's light, fluffy stuff, but a yeah. lot of it. They said one to two inches, which is manageable, especially if it ends up raining like they think it will do. So um, Yeah, we got, we got 10 centimeters, and if you do the math, it's roughly two and a half centimeters per inch. So that's got to be five inches or so, five or six inches. Lots of, lots of inches. Anyway, so, yeah, there's quite a bit of snow on there. On the roads, all of a sudden, and of course we got ice underneath there, which makes it lots of fun when you're walking along, and all of a sudden you get a woo. Realize your foot slides out from underneath you. Right. All right. So we have a couple of fact checks. Oh, several fact check, fact check things from last week's episode. Just as listening to the show when 
I was editing and I noticed a few things. One thing I said at one point in the show, we were, I was talking about the document of truth, but what I actually meant to say was book of record. Now, I don't know, do you guys, are you familiar with book of record as a as a sort of a terminology for something which is like the sort of the, the source of truth? Have you guys heard that or is that just part of our TLA at work? Yeah, I mean, it sounds sort of familiar. I don't know if I'd, if we'd say book of record, um, plan of record. Okay, yeah. It's just, it just basically means that, like like this uh, this database or this book or whatever is going to become the de facto source for mm. some sort of truth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that was so, so I meant, so meant documented truth, but I was struggling to remember book of record is what I was trying to say. Um, three minutes into the show, um, Jaime was talking about his experience, his challenges um, migrating to the iPhone 10 from his iPhone 7. And if you recall, um, I had uh, the same problems in the, in the summer when I got my phone uh, right after they were released. And I had to eventually make an unencrypted backup of my iPhone 6 and then and migrate to my iPhone 10 with that. And I think it has to do with, I think that uh, when you encrypt a backup, it, it signs it with some, with the hardware chip, which makes sense that it wouldn't, you know, the other, the new phone wouldn't be able to decrypt it, right? That was my, my theory at the time. Um, six, six minutes, 18 seconds in, I was talking about a, yeah, I said New York Times reporter, but it was actually a wired reporter who had his credentials uh, um, exploited by Amazon and then eventually his Apple ID uh, compromised. And I'll have a link in the show notes. That was back in 2012, like two, two years before we actually started the podcast. Well, I don't know if you guys remember the story of this guy who was, you know, at, I think somebody called Apple and, and kind of, um, I think he probably, I think maybe he challenged people or whatever, but somebody called Apple and, and convinced them to give him his, give them his password for his Apple ID account or, or his Amazon account, one of the two. And then, then of course he had the same password on both places. Duh. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that with Matt Honan was the, the guy. And I, I do remember that story. It looks like it was back in 2012. So it's been quite a long yeah. time, but yeah. yeah, I think things have improved over at Apple now that we have two FA and all that kind of stuff. And, and can we do a little sidebar on that and, though? Cause yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> so I just tried this with my personal account because I am the team agent or whatever they call the new condensed role to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I fully control my own personal account. 2FA worked fine. Um, it did not work so well this uh, early afternoon when I went to go log in and said, hmm, it's giving me this un- very unfortunate error that says, like, not available. Like, what now? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> my email is not available to put in. That doesn't make sense. And yeah. uh, huh. some some number of hours later before I left for work, um, I was able to, to log in. And so were other folks at the office. I, I don't know about our actual team agent. I didn't actually check with them to see what their experience was like, but um, I mean, it clearly will be available for folks to use without any pain, I hope, uh, by the time this podcast goes out. But as of today, the very yeah, first day that they started it, it completely fell in its face for at least several hours. Well, it, today is February 27th as we record this, and this was the day that they said, I got an email from Apple just a little while ago saying this is, you know, it's now required. Um, I've I've been using 2FA on my on my um, Apple ID account that's for my own company for months, so I've been, I've been challenged, you know, all the way along, but I had to, and I wasn't sure, I didn't realize at the time, but the way it was written, it kind of sounded like every developer had to do it. So I did it for four of my various accounts. And I used that trick that we talked about last week. So I did one for my, my company, the company I work for account. I did one for um, a couple of other customers that I support where I'm sort of the, the, the highest person, you know, 
developing apps up there. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a good thing, you know. But it's uh, it's a pain in the butt. The one thing, one complaint I have about it though is, okay, so I, you put it into Safari, for instance, right? You log into iTunes. You're on this Mac using this Safari, and then some update will come along, or I don't know if it's an incremental update on Safari, or because it's supposed to remember the relationship between your your two FA and this particular browser, because it asks you, do you want to, do you want to trust this browser, right? Like you're not in a hotel or whatever. And um, it uh, it for some reason it will it'll all, it'll ask me, it'll challenge me again for no reason and then it'll say do you want to trust this browser again so and but every time you do it like if you do it on a phone or iPad or whatever you'll have to enter your your two factor authentication credential so it's lots of fun anyway back to the fact check so at nine thirty we were talking about Dread Private Roberts and as soon as you said that I thought wasn't that the guy from the Princess Bride and sure enough it is but it was also the synonym for Ross Ulbrich who I think you said was um, some. Uh, uh, whereas guy or whatever. I mean, he was the proprietor, owner and proprietor of the uh, Silk Road, which was an online community. I, I want to say it was like a forum of some sort where people were right doing dark webby type stuff. You know, yeah. Hey, yeah. I want this. I, I want this thing that's that's not legal for reasons in my particular country. Uh, I want these narcotics. Um, supposedly, some sort of um, hits on people were. Uh, really? I don't think ever actually carried out, but like he fully like tried. You know. Because I think the FBI was involved at that point, uh, so the intent was wow. there. But that was the guy that uh, that they brought down, and that was a big reason where um, cryptocurrency was was being used in the very very early days um, as a way to get around the normal financial system, and also why it was one of those times where the cryptocurrency exchanges took big hits because people were suddenly scared that this this thing would be controlled um, in some way, shape, or form by uh, the feds or the the FBI, I should say. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. At seventeen twenty, I mentioned Simon Sinek. And his, I said the curve, the adoption curve. We were talking about adopting new technologies and things like that. I think we were probably talking about the folding phones. And I talked about the uh, law of diffusion of innovation, which is not something Simon Sinek invented, but something it's it's known in statistics or business or whatever. Um, and that's where, you know, you have the early adopters, you know, the guys who are going to line up for the final iPhone on day one. And then you have the the, the, the people that are, you know, into the technology. Um, and then you that, that's like the first 13% of anything. So when somebody says, oh, our business has, a, you know, 10, 10% adoption rate, that's nothing. You can fall out of bed and get 10% of your, your market. Um, but it's the, the next 35 to 50% of people who are uh, who are the, the challenge. And that's kind of sort of where we're, what we're, think we're, we're talking about, like, for instance, with iPhone adoption, is that those people in the middle of the curve have, have are the ones that are buying phones now and, you know, watches and things like that. And we may have reached a saturation point with them. But that was the law of diffusion of innovation. Um, at 46 minutes in, I think, when the, was it my pick? I think, yeah, I was talking about uh, fat and the formula for fat, roughly, it's an average, by the way, is, is C55H10406. And I was pretty close in terms of what I said on the show, but I was breaking down, you know, how to break down fat into carbon dioxide and water, get rid of it. Um, and I follow the Curiosity Rover on Twitter, not the Opportunity Rover. Opportunity is one that, that just went silent last week, right? Or last I, recently? I think that's right. I think it was the Opportunity. Yeah. You know, we can always fact check it again, right? <laughs> But yeah, so I thought I followed that rover, but I got confused. I followed Curiosity instead. And I'm going to save the, I've got another fact check here at, at 50 minutes in, but I'll, I'm going to move that down to my pick. So we'll talk about that when I get to my pick. So 
Stay tuned. All right. So in the follow-up, um, I, I put the, posted this as some bent iPhone people are apparently having, and I put in air quotes, Wi-Fi problems. Um, turns out that, you know, there are still people who have received bent iPads, which Apple says are within tolerance in terms of acceptable, like the acceptable curve. Um, of course, my, the iPad I bought for, for work is, is, you know, straight, so it's not a problem. But uh, uh, this story here on phonearena.com talks about how um, a gentleman took his iPad into the uh, into the Apple Store, and and the you know the the nice service guy there said, "I can't help you, you know, because it's within tolerance." He said, "But you know, how's the Wi-Fi on it?" And the guy goes, uh, "Yeah," and you know, wink, wink. And they go, "Yeah, yeah, I'm having problems with the Wi-Fi." So you can replace the iPad if you have Wi-Fi problems. So I'm predicting a lot of people are going to go in and say, "My Wi-Fi is not working on my bent iPad." So that's the title: bent iPads have Wi-Fi problems. No, I mean, Biden. You would. <laughs> <laughs> my snarky thing is like, but doesn't it start working like a parabolic dish at that point if it's curved? It's even better reception. <laughs> Right. <laughs> true, true. All right. Um, and this is sort of, this was, I put this actually in the fact paper, and I thought, you know, we should talk about this a bit. So at 8.30 last week, late 8.30 in the show last week, I talked about a tweet from my friend Sam Grover, who I believe is in, I want to say Seattle. Uh, he's over there on that side of the, the world where you are, Jaime. I used to work for um, a big retailer at one point, but I'm not sure who he's working for now. I met him at NS North in, in Ottawa on the, probably the first or second time I was there. But he was saying in in the follow-up message in in that tweet that i posted last week that you can you don't have to unlock the watch to unlock a mac like it will actually it, it actually will unlock your mac from a locked watch really just as long as you're in proximity yeah oh interesting interesting yeah so that's that's not still not good it's even like we, we were we thought you know you know we thought oh but of course you have to unlock the watch but apparently you don't so that's kind of still i think still sort of a problem you know because your kid could put on your watch and then walk up to your mac and you know buy those smurf berries they've been craving right yeah the, that's the pro tip apparently i didn't, <laughs> didn't realize of this uh the security hole here yeah for sure for sure and, and this is another follow-up on on the um the, the troubles that iphone or iphone sales in china apparently apple and a company called alipay are, are have come up with a, an interest-free 30 dollar a month uh iphone plan for people in china i hadn't heard of the plan specifically but alipay is the payment mechanism for uh, from alibaba think of it oh, alibaba. like, like okay. apple pay google pay equivalent um wechat pay is the closest one uh, just given the chinese market so that, that totally makes sense that you know they would partner with somebody to use a very chinese centric payment system and offer an interest-free what is it 30 per month 30 dollars us per month um yeah it's it just says customers spend four thousand won, which is around 595 dollars oh so they have to buy a, a qualifying phone a yeah, minimum yeah, priced yeah. phone to get that yeah that that, that makes sense so um I mean, you can get, I don't know, mattresses or, you know, no money down, no payment for 12 months <laughs> sort of thing, right. or or equal installments and then no, no interest at the end as long as you pay it off on time. So why not for iPhones? Sure. I mean, if you're having um, flagging sales, finding every opportunity to say, all right, how can we remove an obstacle? Do you not have 4,000 yuan right now? We will take many fewer yuan right every month to pay off that phone. Now, how much would you pay? Sort yeah, or not pay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd pay exactly this amount, right? Um, 
I guess is the answer there. But it, it, it totally makes sense. I don't know if it will have a huge impact because I don't know enough about what's going on in the Chinese market. Like, I think I have mentioned this before. Like, I really do think for the S model years, Apple should just do some silly thing. It's, it's you know, clearly getting into the, the more like fashion item uh, sort of mode with, with a lot of these phones as they've matured. And I think that effect is magnified in China. And you must be seen with the newest iPhone if you're in that sort of crowd. And the best way to do that is like, oh, this year we have, you know, deep purple is the color. And now everybody's got these deep purple phones that they're buying just for that reason, even if the internals are basically the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, they were saying here in, in, the, in the article that Apple's um, sales in China dropped 26%. So year over year. So, you know, all the more reason to try something special. But but in the case of the mattresses, you do, you do realize the prices are already inflated, right? And so when they give you the zero money down, they're actually not losing money. Although I mean, I assume that they weren't yeah. going to, but uh, they don't convince you somehow, then they ended with no money at all because you didn't buy. True. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so what's the racket for Apple if they're because they, they're not selling these phones at um, below cost, right? Well, the like racket, they, do, the it, they are expensive services, to make, right? If if the if the future is services, then it's it's the same reason that people give away Android phones essentially for free, right? right. Because uh, you're gonna use Google to do searches, and you're gonna be following ads, seeing ads, right? I same see, right. kind of concept. It's not ads in in Apple's case, but if you want people to use your services because you want to build up your services revenue then they got to be on the platform. So you do whatever you can to get the phone or the platform into as many people's hands as cheaply as possible because you're yeah. not counting on the, the money being made from selling the hardware anymore. You're, the hardware is just a lost leader to get people to use the services. Yeah, and so that old Razor model where they you know they yeah. give away the razor razors and charge you for the blades and the money where they made, they made the money on the blades. Right. right, and printer ink, same deal. Yeah, in some cases, and it's true, that in some cases it's actually cheaper to buy a new printer than it is to pay for the ink. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Which is great for the landfill. Thanks, folks. Yeah. All right. So, Mark, you've got a point here about uh, the worst is over, you say. Yeah, that's, well, you mean? know, along those lines of, you know, sales going back up in, in China, uh, there was an article today uh, quoting a uh, analyst at UBS, which is one of the, the stock analyst companies out there. It's a bank uh, saying that the worst is over for the iPhone weakness that caused all the problems last quarter. If you remember right. that mm-hmm. Apple... Apple had to revise their earnings announcement uh, early, uh, earnings numbers early, and caused the stock to drop even more after it had already gone down because Apple had decided that they weren't going to announce the numbers. Uh, some would say in anticipation of the fact that they knew it was going down. But uh, but according to this analyst, uh, there was that bad quarter, but things have kind of uh, the ship has been has been righted. It's you know the inventory is clearing in China and and things are looking up again. So good news on that front. And at it's actually been reflected in the stock price. If you've been paying attention, the stock price is now back up to around, today it was around 175, still yeah. pretty far down from the peak at 230, but but again, way up from the the, the lowest point in recent memory of 142, I think it was, on right. the day before mm. Christmas, I think it was, was the big, the big, the big uh, collapse. Big drop, yeah. And, and of course, it drags every other stock in the, the world down too, yep. right? Yeah, because Apple's definitely a bellwether stock, for sure. Yep. All right. 
Um, this is another article too, and sort of a follow up um, to follow up to a lot of things we talked about on on the show in the last little while. Um, this is a link out of the Wall Street Journal about Apple and Facebook uh, are fighting an international encryption battle. There is a move. The UK and Australia have passed laws that are going to make it easier for law enforcement to compel companies to um, unlock the data. Basically, whether they build a back door or a side door or, or man in the middle or something. Um, the WhatsApp WhatsApp service, which is owned by Facebook, is is particularly under scrutiny. And so there's a whole bunch of laws, and this article points out different ways that um, that uh, governments are trying to get Apple to uh, Apple and Facebook and and those kind of companies to to you know basically open the kimono and let people let people let law enforcement in in the case of uh, you know when criminals are uh, out there doing their nefarious activities. But the problem is it affects all of us, right? Because basically means that uh, that these guys can grab any any of our phones and get into our stuff, right? I can understand both sides of this argument. Um, we're in a very strange spot where I think it will ultimately come down to how do we consider these particular devices to be in relation to the person? You can see some reasons why you might consider them similar to papers, documents, and effects, which I don't think anyone out there will argue, um, you know, certain exceptions notwithstanding, like attorney-client privilege, for example. I don't think anyone will argue that a government in the process of prosecuting legitimate interests, you know, is there any reason why it shouldn't have access to documents that would be relevant to the case. I'd say that's very easy to argue. Like, yeah, of course. You got a warehouse somewhere that has all these potentially incriminating documents. They probably should have access to that. It sounds very straightforward there. But if instead you think about these devices and say, well, no, this is really more of an extension of that person's mind in that case, um, is particularly with how personal these things are and, and what it is that's being managed here, then it becomes a lot less clear and it becomes like, well, I can't speak for these other countries. What is it? The, the UK, India, and Australia. I can't speak for those countries, but here in the United States, the Fifth Amendment says that like, you don't have to testify. You cannot be compelled to testify against yourself. So in that case, if you were to say, well, these devices are an extension of the self, yeah, then encryption should be totally fine and you can't get in. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not compelled to provide that information and therefore the by proxy, these other uh, companies should not necessarily be providing access to that, right? It'd be um, like, like, go into the future. This is a uh, ghost in the shell type thing where we have uh, video recorders in our heads and that's how our memories are are handled. Would they therefore be able to reach into my very body and extract that information out of a device I have within myself and my head? That feels really weird and creepy. And I, I don't know where this is going to end up going. It is interesting to see that that Apple, Apple for sure, I knew would, would fight this. I'm a little bit more surprised that Facebook is joining the fight, um, but it will it will not be easy, I think, going forward. Yeah, for me, the I mean, I sort of see it as a bigger, creepier thing that, you know, um, if the service provider that I'm sending my data to has the ability to, to look at my data or even store it on their dev- on their devices, and me and 100,000 other people or 200,000 other people also are stored in that place, and then somehow that, that storage gets compromised by bad do- evildoers, and they go in. The, the, I mean, I'm just, I'm not concerned about my own personal privacy. I'm concerned about the privacy 
obviously have people on mass, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, you're going to get people trying to, you know, take mortgages out on your property or, you know, or just, you know, annoy you with email or whatever, you know, try and break into your bank and remove all your or get into your 401k or whatever, right, to, to try and siphon out monies. And, you know, that's where I sort of see it as a bigger picture thing. Like, you know, if, if there if there isn't protections, like I do know that in the case of Apple, that, you know, certain informations are left on the device or they're left in the cloud, they're stored in the cloud, but they're encrypted in the cloud. And it's encrypted with a key that is created by the device I have in my hand, you know? So, um, no, so it's it's kind of protected in that sense, you know? That, that's where I sort of see this whole... And again, this is why, like, I'm sure Mark probably agrees too, I don't keep things in the cloud that I don't think should be in the cloud, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're crazy to do that. But, I mean, with all these services and, you know, like the, the average person who doesn't even understand what, you know, how to write a proper password, you know, they don't know that they shouldn't put this pers- this kind of sensitive information up in up in iCloud, you know, for instance, right, or Google Cloud or whatever, Google Docs or whatever Google, Google calls their, their storage area, right? You know? Yeah, it, it does feel like we're in kind of a transient time as as Jaime was alluding to where yeah people don't know real still really don't know although I think they're starting to learn fast uh, what the dangers are and what the what types of precautions you have to take to keep yourself safe like you know it, you know everybody knows that if you have a sensitive document you don't you know put it in a in a uh, plexiglass box outside your house right and that's fairly obvious but but it, it may not be as obvious with with the cloud because yeah, things seem pretty private and secure and safe and secret when you're dealing with the cloud. It doesn't seem like anyone's looking, but but I think most people are starting to get the idea now pretty pretty strongly that yeah, any anyone can look at, at any time. So I think people are starting to learn. Um, and and I and I do think you're right that the the solution is going to be some form of what you said about the uh, you know encrypted in the cloud where where you have it, it'll be sort of like a safe deposit box kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where right now in the safe deposit box, there's two keys, right? There's you have a key and the bank has a key. So even if someone robs the bank and they go to your safe deposit box, well, without the key, you know, they can hold a gun to the teller and say, open that box, but the, the teller can't open that box. Now, obviously it's a physical box. So if they want to get in enough, they can use a crowbar or something, but, but you know, you get the point. It, it, it will deter pretty much anyone, you know, who's in a hurry to get out of there from breaking into that box is they, there's, there is no key on the premise. Uh, right. And and it's sort of the same way with with something that you inc- you personally encrypt, but you store it somewhere in the cloud. Then yeah, that kind of works. Uh, as long as you keep your key secure and your pa- or your password secure, then that ought to be pretty safe. So I think we'll probably evolve more to more and more things like that. Yeah, as long as it's not a you know a plexiglass box in a paper bag. <laughs> you know, you can rip the paper and see what's inside the box. Right. You know, that's that's right. what I'm talking about with weaker weaker storage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it may be protected to a certain level or you know, a very amateurish level, if you will. Yeah. And I, I, as I said, it, who knows where this is going to go? And it's very clearly not going to be a singular answer for a very long time. Each country is handling this differently. So what does that mean for developers? I think it means for developers, a very common theme we've had for a long time here on this show, and that's treat all data as a liability. Make sure you truly need that data, uh, either for yourself or for your customers, your users. And whatever data you do decide to take on don't try to roll your own stuff use what the platform providers have given you use all the wonderful yeah. things that google apple amazon and so on and so forth it, like they spend millions of dollars they spend 
tons of engineering hours making that stuff work, keychain, uh, face ID, all these other things to help secure things. Just just use that as much as you can for whatever limited data that you are actually taking on as a liability. I think that's probably the best thing for whatever ends up going forward, right? Whichever half of the, it's part of your, your personal self or it's more of an electronic version of a document. I don't know how that's going to turn out. I'm not a lawyer, as we say often on this show, but I think you can't possibly go wrong by trying to limit the data you have and also make sure you're using good, accepted, peer-reviewed type things to secure that data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we move on to the main stuff. So, uh, Jaime, you got something here about Apple and sleep tracking? Yeah, unintentionally a security risk, um, <laughs> given what we just said earlier. Uh, um but I think it changes the vector here. So what I'd originally posted here was this uh, article by uh, Mark Gurman on Bloomberg about Apple's plans for a sleep tracking feature for a future Apple Watch. This 100% makes tons of sense to me, given what they've done with the battery life improvements, the focus on health and fitness, all sorts of other things that we've talked about. Sleep tracking is kind of one of those things that, yeah, you you should have that. I think this addresses, uh, on a, as a sidebar, this semi-addresses the like, oh, your kid takes your watch and tries to go unlock your Mac. Um, at least now you're encouraged to wear that watch 24-7, so that's good. <laughs> the downside is the approach vector, the attack vector here is like, well, that doesn't prevent them from bringing your Mac over to your bed or your couch oh, or wherever it is. True. I was thinking they're going to try to take the watch off your wrist. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's funny. Yeah, maybe there'll be like a, a, a an air power equivalent that also has like a lock for the docking station, so it's like physically secured to your desk or something. I don't know. Well, it seems like it's easy to to fix that. They just, you know, the, the phone, if it's tracking your sleep, it knows when you're asleep. And if the person wearing the, the watch is asleep, it won't unlock your computer. It seems pretty easy. Hmm. There we go. And I think instead of filing a radar for this, if we have any uh, current or former Apple engineers who have access to this sort of thing, I say you should absolutely just stop the episode for a moment, go make that change, go have some lunch, and then come back and listen to the rest of the show. By the way, that, just, that is a great way. I, I just patented that idea. Uh, <laughs> oh, you patented it? You know, well, well, before we give it away to Apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, if we publish this uh, today, we have proof that we came up with the idea, right? That's true. That's true. All right. So I guess as of as of March 2nd, this will be our, our property, our domain. All right. Cool. I mean, yeah, I guess they're, they're taking on the Fitbit kind of sleep tracking that the the um, and i wonder they're going to sherlock a few iphone apps too if they do this too right because there are some already apps out there for um like you put them under under your pillow and they keep track of your your sleep cycle and stuff like that right there's one for the watch as well i think oh, underscore david smith has like sleep plus plus or something for, oh, right, for the yeah. watch um i mean i don't know how he would personally feel for that impact to his uh, indie business but i'm sure he would recognize like yeah this is totally like a thing that should exist on the apple watch and um kind of a, a mixed feelings is what i would guess of like yeah you know he totally did that sort of work because it didn't exist on the watch and and he found a way that, uh, that he could get to do that yeah cool all right what's next the next one is relating to subscription changes and this one is from mac rumors that says that um oh apparently this is posted to app store connect i didn't realize that i, I did not see that that news so uh, the detail here is that uh, ios mac os and tvos app developers will be able soon be able to offer discounted subscriptions to past subscribers. Um, currently, you could offer a uh, introductory price for brand new subscribers, but you couldn't do anything to try to re 
entice somebody. So I'm thinking of that um, that newspaper model of like, hey, if, if you continue getting the Seattle Times a dollar a month, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever it takes to continue having you introductory rate sort of thing. I think that's what's being offered here. And that seems like it would be really in line with the services and subscriptions sort of model that Apple is trying to move towards. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know the details of how that ends up working in, in App Store Connect, but presumably there must be some sort of way to, to control that. I don't I don't know how sophisticated it is. It. Have either one of you gone and, and, and tried that out to see? Well, um, I, did, I did subscription stuff a long time ago, but then our app got rejected for it and we had to change our, our model. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's just supporting iOS 12.2 uh, and macOS Mojave 10.14.4. So, hmm. Yeah, because they originally, like you're right, like around the time of the, the newsstand, they were they were pretty fussy about who could do subscriptions. Some people had been grandfathered in. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I have tried it. It may worth, be worthwhile looking again at some... Uh, look again, there's that app again. Uh, looking again at some of the um, the things that we have. Some, I mean, some of the apps have produced in the past have subscriptions in them, but not, not, not like a monthly thing yet, anyway. All right. Yeah, I guess if the people... This is, I guess, for people who are renewing or people who have left and you want them to come back. Is that the idea? Yeah, it's it's well, I guess it's both for lapsed subscriptions, so somebody you know stops renewing, or people who have um, uh, completely stopped. And I think there was notion somewhere in here of people who have uh, not necessarily stopped subscribing, but stopped the auto renewal. So it, it, it's kind of questionable as to whether they're going to subscribe for that next month, right? They would have to manually go in there, and I think you can now entice them. It's like, okay, uh, you didn't leave it on easy mode of just renew the subscription forever, but what if it was five dollars cheaper now how much would you pay five dollars less that's right <laughs> sign up yeah. now i think i think this is the the avenue you have now as opposed to completely losing them and then having them come in as a new brand new subscription which is a lot harder from the customer acquisition side right okay cool all right so what's uh, microsoft up to how yeah speaking of how much would you pay uh thirty five hundred that's three thousand five hundred dollars us for their brand new hololens 2 and they went through very great pains to say this is absolutely not a consumer thing so don't don't think it's going to be like the oculus rift or htc vive uh, vive yeah vive uh, that you'll be playing video games stuff this is really focused on productivity and the use cases they seem to show here were around using augmented reality this is an augmented reality headset a uh, much more refined version from the original hololens they came out with uh handful of years ago and it's really more for business and and i would guess in a lot of cases like factory type work um a little like, bit of a inventory side- barcode readers and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and and I could imagine. I mean, okay, so I used to work at Boeing many many moons ago, and I could completely envision a like, oh yeah, you could have people on the factory floor being able to see, okay, where do these parts line up? Does this line up correctly? I could see uh, people trying to work with um, airline customers and say, all right, you've got this new paint job, this new livery, as they call it, that you want to have. What if we take you out to a plane that's right out there right now and show you some of the concept sketches of what that would look like, and, and not in a three D model, but just like go look at it on the actual aircraft um, through augmented reality, right? It's not actually there. Uh, the aircraft is actually there, but the right, data right. that's overlaid on top of it, you could view through something like a HoloLens. So apparently they've gone through uh, great pains to reduce the size and weight. They've made it uh, a wider field of view. I don't think this article showed what that view looked like, unfortunately. The the first HoloLens, despite Microsoft's like great marketing materials, was like having a pack of cigarettes, I think, in front of you and say, you can view the three, right. 3D augmented world through this pack 
of cigarettes, this pane of glass. I think they have like doubled. I, I couldn't find where they didn't show the the output and what it looks like, unfortunately. But they've made it wider, which is good. You know, more more real estate is better. And apparently, they've also added some really cool stuff for gesture recognition, so that you could do more natural things like pinch and drag and rotate of stuff, and it would recognize that versus awkwardly looking over, trying to you know tap in the air, activate a control, and then you know move a slider. It's it's more natural, like you would expect of the natural gestures you would have on a, on a touch device like an iPhone. Right. There's an article there. If you if you look on there, it talks about the link to the article from four years ago when this uh, same group of journalists tried out the HoloLens. Yeah, it's nifty tech, and I hope that if it's not Microsoft, that that somebody like an Apple will help miniaturize this tech, make it. Uh, there's a pretty good picture of uh, one of the technical fellows of what this looks like. It looks like mm-hmm. uh, a still fairly large but more manageable visor, and they've they've made it critically e- easy to flip it up out of the way. So you can imagine you're in whatever you know uh, working environment, and you can flip the uh, device out of your way so you can see and talk to people and flip it back down for productivity. Sure, yeah. Uh, I could kind of imagine people wearing it with a hard hat now because now it's not quite as bulky as the very first version was. And I could see that developers, um, I don't know what the story is for this in terms of like like an app store or whatnot. It's kind of out of my, my range of where I would see this normally. But I do think there's an opportunity there for uh, consulting and enterprise services and maybe some package software that would work you know, with the Boeings of the world, with the General Electrics, the Teslas, the other sort of large manufacturers, um, and maybe other things. Like, I don't know, ar- architecture and design in terms of not software, but you know, buildings, I could see that working too. Right. Cool. But I'd be remiss to not mention the um, the military aspect of this. And this came to attention <laughs> because of, uh, apparently Microsoft has some sort of contract with the U.S. government around uh, an increased lethality project, you know, giving more situational awareness to commanders on the battlefield. And Microsoft employees here in the Seattle area uh, had a pretty big, um, what do you call it? Uh, it wasn't a protest. It was more of a petition. A lot of folks had signed it like, yo, I, I didn't sign up to create a weapon system. And oh, really? Okay. For the, for the moment, uh, Satya Nadella is holding fast and saying, no, we're we're going to continue to have this project with the government. So really? like we were talking about earlier, um, you definitely have to consider the potential impacts of what you're developing out there. That's but this technology is still cool. I mean, I don't want to <laughs> end it as a downer, as more of a, of a side note that uh, I don't want folks shaking their fist at the radio. Yeah. Saying, hey, but what about this thing? It's like, nope, totally thought about that too. It's funny, you know, we just had the Canadian Auto Show here for the last two weeks and I went last weekend and um, they had a lot of interactive, you know, big long lineups to get into the interactive displays where you could try, you know, I guess try cars, take them for test drives and stuff like that. And a lot of them were using the, the HoloLens technology or, or something, a visor that looked very similar to that, you know, where people had like a VR thing on their head and um, in some cases it was like they were calling it augmented reality, which meant that you could actually see through and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it was, it was a big, the big thing at the uh, car show, like just about every, every manufacturer had something or was, you know, every five manufacturers, every fifth manufacturer had something to do with an augmented reality experience kind of tool. So no, it's interesting. So I guess we're at the picks section of our show. So I got a couple of picks. This is again, another one I picked up from our fact check. Um, last week I was talking about, um, we were, what were we talking about the moon. We were talking about, uh, Oh, it was, you were talking about Mars, about whether, um, you know, when they go up there, will they, you know, encapsulate the uh, the Curiosity and, and Opportunity rovers into uh, like a little museum? Will they move the the, the rovers into a, a a building, or will they build a, a, a park around them? And uh, so it reminded me of an episode of uh, Futurama. It actually turned out it was the season one episode two called "The Series Has Landed," and it was about uh, Fry and and Ga- 
gang go up to do a delivery on the moon and he goes to, he's all, you know, he's just woken up after 3000 years of being frozen in, in uh, cryosleep and he wants to go check out the moon and it turns out to be this great, you know, he, just, he goes, it's one small, small step for spry. And then there's a big lineup of people and, and the guy says to him, yeah, and a giant lineup for you to get into the, into the amusement park. So they built an amusement park around the moon landing and they've got all these little rides and stuff like that. And fry, you know, breaks a, a rover off and they go off and they start, you know, traveling around and they, they end up in the, the LEM, the lunar evacuation module. Is that right? Yeah. LEM. Um, and, uh, yeah, they pick it up and yeah, to, they start trashing, you know, he puts his footprint on top of, uh, Neil Armstrong's footprint to see if it's the same size shoe and all that kind of stuff. Right. Anyway, so it's, I've got a link here to a YouTube video. Somebody's very carefully, uh, you know, changed the, the, I guess the audio on the show and, and put the, it has a fake television that are showing the, the, the feed in. So it's not quite, you know, uh, a, a legal copy of, uh, the video on online, but people, you can sit there and watch the whole episode. So, so it's kind of interesting that Sirius has landed on Futurama. So that's what they're going to do. I mean, they're going to build an amusement park around uh, the rovers that are up on Mars. Um, <laughs> yeah. My second pick here is a, a, an interesting story. We... Um, Tara Stoll is a speaker that I've met at uh, 360 iDev. I don't know if you've met him, Jaime. I think he's I'm going to have to look up a picture, but the name sounds real familiar. I think I've met him too. Yeah, I think he's I think he's from that area, um, Colorado. But uh, so interesting article here on uh, he and he and a, a coworker had have a product called Grocery, and uh, they wanted to add recipes like you know recipes for making uh, meals, uh, family meals, and that kind of stuff, like family recipes into this app so rather than you know bolt it onto the existing app they decided to go and take a different different tact and they they built the recipe portion as a brand new app and so it goes through the whole benefits of of doing that and, and then eventually they were able to go through and uh, you know use modern design techniques and uh, like you know instead of using table views they used collection views looking that made them look like tables and they could use color uh, layouts and uh, all the different kind of things that they were able to do and you know using um, setting up a uh, like a sort of generic kind of cell that could be uh, using enums to sort of separate out what the features of each cell would be. Um, and they got some examples of the cells there and uh, built, yeah, built this app. And then uh, by the time they got around uh, to um, have this this recipe app, they decided, okay, well, now we can basically take the grocery app from 1.0 to 2.0 uh, and put this all, put the two pieces together and get the, the benefits of all the work that they did together. So it's a kind of interesting story on how they went through the whole process of, of revamping the, um, the app. And um, it's available in the App Store if you want to check it out. And, of course, you can read through the how they use, you know, the, all the tools, all the Swift, Swift and that kind of stuff. And uh, they, I think they use Realm as their database to end iCloud for syncing um, to build this uh, recipe feature into their current grocery app and basically end up with grocery 2.0. So good little story there on how they went about doing that. I'll have to, to read that. There's some nuggets here, like a, a screenshot of what I assume is part of the Xcode project. So the grocery, grocery list control swift is sort of the main thing mm-hmm. and i could see that the stylus to add extensions for things like plus accessory plus items plus uh onboarding plus watch very curious to see how that would be broken out definitely yeah, it doesn't go into great style. detail but it's a, it's an interesting interesting read and this is not something they've open source the code right it's we can't actually see no. what the code is no okay i don't think so yeah i don't think so 
there. Well, oh no, actually, there is there is uh, the the part about the recipe markdown format that they came up with. That's actually up on on uh, GitHub. You can go see how they they help. They use markdown to sort of as their sort of uh, they wanted something that was going to survive beyond the app in terms of um, how they're putting the recipes together. And they, they chose a markdown as opposed to HTML for that sort of piece, right? Mm-hmm. And then they could use enumerations to to read through the the tags. Yeah, so it was Ryan Gray and Conrad Stoll. Oh, I found him on Twitter. He's uh, at Conrad Stahl. Yep, I totally recognize him. Pretty cool dude. Yeah, looks like he works at Under Armour, which makes sense because I right, think I remember yes. him mentioning that as he was moving from the Colorado area to the Austin area. Oh, really? Okay. Austin being in Texas. Sorry, I keep forgetting sometimes we have an international oh, crowd. I knew where Austin was. <laughs> and I'm international. <laughs> sort of. You're international on, from my perspective. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, Jaime, do you have a pick? I do. This is a um, blog post on the uh, Martian craft blog. You might recognize your name. Um, talking all about uh, the different margins and how you might want to use them in iOS. Uh, I'm sure you collect a lot of this information from the official Apple Docs, but this is kind of a nice refresher and reminder, uh, maybe even a semi-tutorial for folks who are new to it, about what are the impacts for the safe area? How does the safe area work when you have a navigation controller? Um and I think probably the most interesting one for me was remembering about the layout margin stuff and how that interacts with uh, the kind of constraints you might want to have. Like what they show here in this you know, picture example of if you wanted to have a... Uh, a label that's within some sort of container and you want the container to be pinned edge to edge in some sort of, you know, parent container. Okay, cool. Pretty easy. But for legibility reasons or possibly just, you know, looks nice reasons, you want the text to be inset from that. Well, a pretty easy way is to into um, not deleting a trailing edge, but you would into the containers layout margins mm, okay. and you'll get a lot of that stuff by default. And you're essentially future proofing yourself. Apple comes out with some crazy new layout for uh, here uh, on, known device this helps you with that um certainly we've, we've talked about using the safe area going forward because it's sort of like the notch is the real world now um it's going to be all phones at some point so you might as well might as well update your code for that and i thought those are pretty good because i you know some of this you could experiment with or even just sort of like all right work it out in your head but seeing the nice graphics of like all right well what if you have your margins and you're in portrait but now you went into landscape now now what's happening to the margins especially when you have a, a notch style device like an iphone 10 no sensor area, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sensor area, uh, and also how it impacts things like the uh, the relative margins and other things that are a little hard to get out of the docs without having like, nice little graphics here. Just like ah, okay, I see one little green box done one way and another little green box done a completely different way, and see what the impact is. Yeah, the author of this is my friend Rich Turton from the Ray Wunderlich team as well. So yeah, I saw the I saw these uh, post images posted the other day. I was wondering what what he was up to, and I just happened to be going through an older app. Um, um, updating it for the new phones. So this would, would have come in handy, but I, I can go back and use it as, as a resource for doing that, retrofitting the app. Cool. This just came out a couple of, last week, I guess, yeah? Well, I guess that's it for yet another week. So, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at DevOfTheHair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? I'm at MarkR at Smapsoft.com. All right. And my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on most of the socials, but Twitter is probably the best place to get a hold of me. So until next week, we'll say see you next week. Bye. 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 I was going to say, see you in the future. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. 
You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at MTJC underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash MTJC. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. matters for next week Mm -hmm. um i will be in japan because i'm going to be presenting next week at the the conference so i'm looking at a time um calculator and it actually seems like not that bad a time it's like around lunchtime for recording here but i also have some doubts about uh wi-fi connectivity within the hotel and also you know sometimes it seems like we're stretching the bounds of what the interwebs can handle when we're having folks from the west coast over to canada Uh and throwing japan into the mix and how that delay might work well but um, japan oh. probably has better wi-fi than than any or internet than uh, any of us it's, yeah it's true we still got to get over over here to to this side it's true it has to get through the series of tubes across there. <laughs> <laughs> the damn cable in india that keeps getting cut when boats yeah. go past it apparently yeah i'll yeah. okay, give it a shot see what happens i'm almost certain i can't for spotcast next week because yeah that yeah, will we'll coincide see. with a tour of um so one of Sony's offices that they're giving to the the speakers. Mm-hmm. Somebody there works. Well, surprise, surprise. Somebody there in, in Tokyo works for Sony, so we get a chance to go check out their offices. Oh, that's, that's cool. Right around yeah. the same time we would be recording here. Sure. Okay. Can't argue with that. So how long are you be in Japan for? I'm flying out Saturday. Get there on their Sunday, and then coming back the following Sunday. So the third through the tenth. Hmm. Cool. All right. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can get out to the the Gundam statue. Um, yeah, just let's see. This is why there needs to be a list. There's like you know, a list of top things to do in Tokyo. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want that. I want the most obnoxious things you could possibly do. I'm like, oh, stupid tourist. Of course, they're doing that because that's what I need. I've only got like a week there. I need to make full, you know, full use of that time. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I haven't done this sort of it's like a ten to eleven hour flight. My body barely likes five to six hour flights as it is. Mm-hmm. So this will this will be a challenge. How long is it? It's like ten to eleven hours. Like one flight from Seattle to there. Yeah, technically. It'd be going out of um sfo in this case yeah but um yeah i mean that that part of it that segment is going to be like 10 i think it's 11 hours going there and 10 hours coming back i guess the the winds prevail in a really good favorable direction for one direction but at least uh this will be my first time on uh, a boeing 777 um which would be nice you know having worked there before mm-hmm. and a boeing 787 which i specifically worked on that program when i was there at boeing cool yeah cattle class unfortunately so it's not going to be a great dream but you know I'll be like, oh, yeah. what's the plan of work done? Some inter- interesting things. The worst is over. That's good to hear. Well, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like simple thing, like, like wealth simple is, is a, a stock app that, that you, I don't know if you've heard of it down there, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's built, developed here in Toronto. And, um, a friend of mine is like the lead, to the, the development manager. So I figured oh, I'll give it a shot. And so I took some bucks out of one of my, one of my TF, TFSAs, which is a tax free savings account. Yeah. And I moved it over there. Cause then I could move it without like, you know, paying income tax or for transferring it. Right. And then, uh, 
and like immediately lost like dollars or whatever over the over the past you know a couple of months. I started in August and I just checked it just today and it's it's actually finally you know now it's finally in the black right. Oh yeah, yeah. Q4 was bad all around. <laughs> yeah. So so you're yeah, allowed, I, I, in Canada. You're allowed to take money out of a tax-free account and move it into a different one. Yeah. Well, yeah. So any any like you like a tax-free savings account is is a an account where you can put money that it's not. We have two types of things. I, I think you call them 401ks kind of thing, right? Like you put money in and it, it's you don't pay income tax on it. Like it comes off your, like it's well, deducted at your source kind of thing, it, it, you know? It sort of sounds like what you're talking about is more like uh, what's called an IRA. IRA, right, yeah. Investment or account. So 401k is, yeah. is similar to an IRA, but it's a cor- it's a company-sponsored thing. Yeah, so so we have, we have retirement savings plans and, and we're based on the amount of income you make in a year, you're allowed to, to deposit so much of your income into into one. Into, into an RSP. An RSP is something that somebody manages it and they invest it in different you know types of stocks and, and theoretically it makes you money over the t- over time, right? Yep. And then when you reach 70, I think it turns into an in- income fund and, so you, and it's a registered income fund So that, and you're required by law to take out a certain portion of it, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea is you're putting money aside, not paying tax on it so that you can use it in your old age, you know, and, right. and uh, as income. You still pay, you pay income tax on it ironically when, when you when you withdraw it. But, um, right. but, but the idea is that you're presumably making a lower interest rate when you retire than you are now. Right. So you right. And you're, yeah, that in, exactly that you're paying. Or exactly. So it, so a TFSA was set up, I don't know, TFSAs have been around, I guess, 10 years or maybe 15 years, but a TFSA is the same sort of thing. It's a tax-free savings account. It's, a, it's you put money into this account, you can have it, you can go have it come in off, like off before your ta- income tax is deducted, it, but it doesn't, it's not managed. Like it doesn't really, doesn't really grow. It, it has a higher than regular savings account interest thing, but, but yeah, it's just a way, it's, it's somewhere to put money uh, and, and not, you know, not have it in an RSP. RSPs are locked in. You kind of like, yeah, it takes a little bit, a bit of effort to, to move things around. But so yeah, when I, when I first set up my wealth simple account, I could either set up an RSP, which I didn't want to do with them because I, you know, I, did, I didn't want to put a whole bunch of money over there and then, then it sucks and I hate it and whatever. I just wanted to kick test drive it. So I had some money sitting in a TFSA and I moved it over mm. there to, to see, okay, well, I'll try, I'll try a little bit of money and it's not going to hurt. And it's, and it was out of my sort of rainy day fund. You know, like I have a, I have an automatic savings thing that comes off my, out of my, my uh, basic bank account. If I, yep. if I didn't have an automatic savings thing, I just wouldn't save. Yeah. I'm just that kind of person, right? So every couple of weeks into this thing and, and some of it I put into U.S. funds, some of it I put into TFSA, right? So Yeah, it sounds like you're, the rules up there are a little bit looser than they are down here. So we have we have these IRAs, which are individual accounts, but and we also have 401ks, like, which are, like I said, are company-sponsored company? accounts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, you, can, you can move a 401k if you leave your company, right. but otherwise yes. you can't. It stays at your company. Uh, and then you can kind of do a one-time thing. You can move a 401k, you can roll it over into an IRA once. If you, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, once you do that, you can't. You can never take it out again. It's in that IRA, and you can right. you can move the IRA from one broker to another broker. Exactly. Yeah. Same but, thing. Yeah. But you can't just do like what you described and say, "Hey, just take you know take 
bucks out of this IRA and yeah. use it for something. As, else. Soon, as soon as you hold it in your hand, you pay tax on it. Right. Essentially. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Plus so, the penalty. So what, plus the penalty for taking. Well, so what? If you're under sixty, whatever. Really. Ages, you pay a penalty. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so the, the difference with us is if we if if I have like money tied up in our in an RSP registered retirement savings plan. If I have money tied in there and I take it out, I just have to pay income tax on it and any capital gains that I've made on mm-hmm. on interest or whatever, right? Yeah. So so it's as if I've taken out, as if I've paid myself an extra thousand dollars or two thousand dollars or whatever you pay at your current income tax rate. So like if you're you know if you're a well-paid iOS developer, then you're going to pay it at that kind of tax rate. But if you're just you know, so if we ever needed like you know if the the back of the house fell off and we needed you know thirty thousand dollars and we had it in an RSP. We could take it out, but we'd have to pay the income tax on it, right? Yeah. So essentially what we're doing is we're deferring the income tax, like you said, until we're at a lower rate. Right. And I guess you're right. We have we have freer rules in the fact that we can do that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, so So do you guys have pension plans too in some companies? Some com- some old school companies do. Yeah. Tech yeah. I work for an old school yeah. company. That has yeah, one, yeah, banks would most likely be one of the candidates for having them for yeah. sure down here. Uh, tech companies almost exclusively do not. Right. They have right. 401ks instead generally. Some, some older right. companies might even have both, but, but right. uh, yeah, the pension plan has for the most part gone gone away in in companies in the US. There are things like, you know, teachers still have a pension plan through the yeah, exactly. stuff like yeah. that. So other yeah. types of professions do, but Well, government do government positions positions must have pension plans as well, right? Don't they? Um, I mean, government workers are not necessarily Yeah, elected. I think maybe they do. Having, yeah. having never been one, I'm not sure, <laughs> but I think they do. I think they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. we've we've had a couple in our family and and the Canadian government and Ontario government are pretty pretty generous with their pension plans. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I currently have one, but I, but I because I started at the bank so late, um, I'm not I'm not going to get a great amount of money right. from it. Right. Like if I'd started like when I was 20 or 30 years old, yep. kind of thing. Yep. But again, that, that's another thing. One of the benefits is is our company sort of supports it as well. So yeah, yeah. So, so Javi, one one piece of advice to you, if you choose to take it, and I'm not an, a financial advisor, although I play one on a podcast, mm-hmm. um, is you as a young guy, the most important thing that you can do is start putting as much money into your 401k as you possibly can as early as you can. Yeah, yeah. You may already know this, but it, it definitely pays off over time. So yeah, I've been doing that. Interest. Yeah, I've been doing that since whenever I first got the ability to have a 401k through a company. I just max out. Yeah. yeah especially whenever they had matches of any sort. Yep. You know, it's just free money on top of it. Sure. Yeah. You don't want to leave money on the table for sure. Um, yeah. We, I've, I've, I've had them since, you know, I think one company I worked at years ago, I had a pension plan. And then when I left the company, it converted into RSPs. And that's that's how I got started into it. So I, I've been doing it since I was in my 30s anyway as well. But um, yep. I don't have enough to retire on, unfortunately. Well, mind you, got equity in the house, and that's another that's another way people. Do yeah, it we have too, to sell right? the house to get to get it right. <laughs> or yeah, I, but, you but can take out yeah, mortgage, I suppose. Yeah, you can take you can take out yeah you can yeah. take out a credit line or yeah, yeah. like a reverse mortgage they call it or whatever. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you wouldn't want to take a reverse mortgage. Well, I don't know. Personal situation, but with a reverse mor- yeah. mortgage, you lose the house at the end. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 that's yeah. the whole that's whole deal. Reverse mortgages are sort of a scam okay. although you know for the right people it makes sense uh, yeah basically yeah. what it is is they they're buying your house yeah uh, from you but they're gonna let right. you live in it till you die essentially right so right. so and they're and they're paying you I, I think it's I think it, it works where they're paying you an installment so they're buying the house so they're paying right. you the mortgage payment essentially right oh, okay. uh, now the the downside is if if you if you die too soon <laughs> you know it's a bit morbid 
but if you die too soon, they still get your house. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, there may be other rules too. So, but if you if you you know if you are in a situation where you want to leave, have the house as an inheritance for someone, then definitely don't take yeah. the first mortgage. Right. Well, we do. We do. Um, we do have. Um, like we can take out a line of credit, like we call a home. Yeah, home, home equity line of credit. Oh, or yeah. or you can just take out a, a mortgage, right? Uh, just a regular mortgage. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I guess it, you know a, a line of credit might be better because it's probably lower interest rate. Although it's yeah. over a shorter period of time, you know they mm. they probably want you to pay off that line of credit over a few years. Not always. Not always. If it's security on, on the house, and of course, yeah. Again, the thing about it is, yeah, if you start defaulting, they're going to come kick your house and and give you whatever's left over. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Yep. Anyway, anyway, again, we're not financial advisors nope. for those of you listening. <laughs> we are not. Don't take our advice. Joy in a home. Yep. Yep. No, I mean, yeah. Well, I, was, I tell people the story, but my my I apprenticed under a guy in when I was in my twenties. He was in his eighties, and he had borrowed from his boss in the fifties, right from the company owner, yep. to buy thirty acres of land just north of Toronto, right north end of Toronto. It's now all developed and there's houses and whatever up there. But yeah, yeah. he sold a chunk of it, like 10 acres or whatever for millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. And he got to keep 20 acres of it, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, so that was a good investment. So one thing I do know, if you ever read The Apprenticeship or Duty Kravitz by Mordecai Richter, it is true. My, real estate does go up in value. <laughs> so that's one thing I, I, I definitely learned. All right. Well, I guess I can go back and watch Man from High Castle, right? We're done for the night. All right. <laughs> I'm on season three for the record. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah. What do you think of the quality of season three? Um, I just got into it. So, like, second episode in? Why? Is there a problem with season three? I I, I don't want to say anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, enough's been revealed already, right? So. Yeah. Oh, all right. I, I thought it just kind of got a little little bit silly by season three. Oh, yeah? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, the whole, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> Well, yeah, so let, let me in, understand. So. The source material is a single book, right? Yes. It's a short, so I, short story, isn't it? No, it's a book. It's a novel. Oh, okay. Okay. Have you read the book? I have read the book. Okay. Several times. Actually, it's one of my favorite books. Really? Yep. Hmm. yep. Uh, but, you know, if, you, if you're going to read it, be prepared that like most things that Philip K. Dick wrote that got yeah, turned into same. popular things, you'll yeah. barely recognize it. I mean, the basic concept and the story is, and some of the characters are the same, but, yeah, but yeah. so much is different because it, it's, you know, Philip K. Dick doesn't write like action adventure stories for the most part, but the movies mm-hmm. that people have made always end up that way. Right, right. Yeah, it was like Blade Runner. It's not not quite the Yeah, very different the from, same. The, from the book. Yeah, uh, do Android stream of electric sheep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like he has a hobby farm and the sheep in it and stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll talk to you later. All right. Have a good night. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.